scripture reading today is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to those who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Stephen. Let's pray for the message, shall we? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to, to open your word. And we just pray that you would... Uh, Work in our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would empower our pastor to clearly communicate your truths. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans here. We just pray that you would uh, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You can take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I know you're an above-normal congregation, and I'm sure you can remember the sermon for two Sundays ago, but I'll remind you anyway. Two Sundays ago, we dealt with the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5. We talked about how you, as a believer who's been justified, you stand in grace. Perfect tense. Then we talked about how a believer stands in the love of God, perfect tense, because you've been justified, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you have been justified. God's love has been revealed to and applied to sinners by the action, providing righteousness by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which we receive by faith. The key word that is over and over again used in verses 1 through 11, is we. We. We who have been justified. We who stand in grace. We who stand in the love of God. We, 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 we. Thirteen times the pronoun is used in those 11 verses. And notice verse 12. Therefore, stop. Because therefore changes what's happening. The pronouns stop being used. The term we does not occur now until the rest of the chapter, until verse 21, nothing, no we's. Now we talk about something else that supports the work of justification. It is something 
that is vital to understanding justification. But it's something that's hard to talk about. Hard to talk about. Hard to talk about. I took a college year at water skiing. I had everybody sign up. We had a van, and uh, actually a van and two other vans. We had, we had more kids than we could get water skiing. I had two boats arranged to water ski us. I had enough gas so we'd water ski for the three days that we were going to be water skiing. We were going to water ski. We were going to have fun. It took us a while to get to the camp. We got to the state park. I checked in. By the way, I'm leading the parade. Okay? I'm in the front vehicle, driving the front vehicle. I am the leader. We're going water skiing. Follow me. I will go. Everybody's in line behind me. I speed up, they speed up. I slow down, they slow down. Understand? We get to the state park gate. I pay the fee for all three vehicles. I then turn the corner and we kind of go parallel to the campground. Okay, so the campground's here. We're going down a road this way. We're looking at the campground. Everybody's excited because we want to go water skiing. We are looking out the window, trying to see if we can find our site number, 17, 18, and 19, whatever it was. I can't remember, but we're looking for it. And we're excited to be at camp. We want to go water skiing. So, I lead. We go down this road. We get to the end of the road, probably a quarter mile, and we have a right-hand turn, and we go into the campground. When I turn into the campground, I notice that there's a police car behind our third van with his flashing lights on. And the flashing state trooper pulls over my third vehicle. Well, I'm the leader. I stopped. Middle van stopped. We all stopped. And I got out of the car, and I went to the police officer, and I said, Sir, why did you pull us over? And he said, He said you were speeding. And I'm thinking, okay, I was speeding. Now, where was I speeding? And I'm thinking, okay, the only place that I was speeding could have been that road that went a quarter mile down next to the fairground, the campground. He said, yep, you were going 15 miles per hour. And I said, I was speeding at 15 miles per hour. And I said, what was the speed limit? He said, the speed limit is five miles per hour. <laughs> so if you've never met somebody, you got a speeding ticket going 15 over in a five. Now you have. 
And since I was the leader, I paid all the tickets. Because I was the one going 15 miles an hour. And you know what I said? Sir, I didn't see a five mile per hour sign. He said, that's there. I said, where? He says, it's right next to the shed where you paid the money and you turned down the road. And I said, where I paid the money and I turned down the road, there's a sign there that says five miles per hour. He said, yep. I said, I'm going to go look. By the way, did it matter whether I saw the sign or not? No. I went back, by the way, and there was a sign. It was hidden behind a bush, behind the shed. When they were. But anyway, there was a sign. And going 15 in a 5 is a ticket. Three of them. You know, there are a lot of people that will not like this paragraph we're going to study this morning. <clears throat> because they don't think that speed limit signs apply to them. This may be a difficult passage for you to apply to yourself. But we have to understand it to understand the world of justification. Let's go. Verse 12. Follow along. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. Here you go. What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? <clears throat> there are a lot of debates on that question. <laughs> what the problems are in this world. But they won't come up with the seven that we're going to deal with. They may think some people have more money than you. That might be a problem, but that's not going to be in the verse. They're going to think a lot of other things, uh, social injustice, they, you, you come up anything you want to come up with, but it will not be in the list of what is the biggest problem in the world today. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man. What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? Number one. Number one, the world is under the power of sin. The world is under the power of sin. Therefore, the therefore is interesting. Some people think it applies all the way going back to chapter one. That we start a new section here. In chapter five, verse 12. Therefore, for this reason, why must I be justified? Why is there justification? Why? Verse 12 explains it. As through one man, through one man, all have sinned. Because of Adam, sin. The original source was Adam, who doomed all people in advance. You're in 2 Thessalonians for the reading. Did you notice verse 9 there? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Because of sin, 
you will have to pay the penalty of eternal destruction. By the way, don't think destruction is being annihilated. Being destruction, destruction is not having the loss of everything that keeps life livable. Gives worth to life. Everything good will be gone in eternity. Destruction. Notice it's described as away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of God. The lake of fire will be away from the presence of God, the glory of his power. In other words, hell will be away from the presence of God. Heaven will be in the presence of God. You will be faced with an eternal destruction if you do not deal with the problem of sin. That's a big deal. I don't mean to step on your toes, but it's a bigger deal than a virus can ever be. The power of sin will lead to destruction. The power of sin will lead to destruction. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the world. Number two. What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? Number two. The sin of Adam affected the sin nature of everyone in the world. The sin of Adam affected the sin nature of everyone in the world. Sin entered into the world. Aorist tense, active. In other words, Adam did something. Singular, he did one thing. That one sin he did brought you and everyone around you and next to you and your neighbor, your cousins, your friends, everyone, brought them into a state of sinfulness because of Adam's one sin. He disobeyed once, and that puts you in a state of sinfulness. The sin of Adam affected the very nature of his humanity. Adam was the first person to have a sin nature because he sinned. By the way, we don't talk about evolution a lot, but evolution talks about how something started simple and got more complicated and got better. The Bible, by the way, is just the opposite. <laughs> the Bible said we started better and then got worse. If the Bible said we started bad and got better, evolution would say we started good and got worse. You understand that, right? Okay, here we go. God created Adam and Eve perfect. 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 And gave him one test of his loyalty and said, don't eat from this tree. I don't know how long it went. But he went three days farther than you or I could have gone. Then he took from the tree. His wife was deceived and he willfully disobeyed. He sinned. He missed the mark. He did not submit 
to the Word of God. And sin entered into the world. The term world is often used to denote human beings, uh, the human race, the human family. But notice the one thing, sin entered into the world. That means before the world there was sin. Where was sin before the world was created? 1 John 3.8 says, The devil has been sinning from the beginning. Sin entered the world, which existed before Adam, because it existed because of Satan, who's been sinning since the beginning. The world is under the power of sin, and the sin of Adam affected the sin nature of everyone in the world. Third, the middle of verse 12, Therefore, just as one through, the, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death through sin. What's the third thing? What's the seven greatest problems in the world today? Number three, death became a reality for the world when Adam sinned. Death became a reality for the world when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. Death came into the world by one sin. One sin. <clears throat> by the way, life will come by one act of obedience. But we're not going to get there today. What is death? Death is spiritual separation from God. If you are spiritually separated from God, there's one thing I can guarantee will not be in your life. There will not be joy. What is death? Death is a physical separation from the soul and body. Physical death brings the worst possible thing for you, no opportunity for repentance. What's eternal death? Eternal death is eternal separation from God. Eternal death brings an everlasting punishment in the lake of fire, eternally. Death is connected to sin. Sin is connected to death. Death through sin, sin through death. But the interesting thing is for a believer in Jesus Christ who's been justified, death has no power for you. Death is the consequence of sin. Death is not the intended, intended result or design by God. It is not what God designed. It's not... You ever hear the word uh, mortal? Mortal? You know what it means? Mortal is subject to death. Unquote. Subject to death. If you are a descendant of Adam, you are subject to death. You're mortal. Ephesians 4.18, you've been darkened in your understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Because of sin, death came into the world. There are a lot of non-believers that don't like going to funerals because they don't want to face death. 
There's a lot of believers that don't like going to funerals because they don't want to face death. Death is the face of sin. The way you know there's sin in this world is that there is death in this world. Here you go. I'll show you how smart I am. I'll predict something. People will die tomorrow. <gasps> Shocking. Why will people die tomorrow? Because there is sin in the world. There is a direct connection between sin and death. Here we go, number four. The end of uh, verse 12. Notice what it says. Sin entered into the world and death through sin, so that death spread to all men. Death spread to all men. Here we go. What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? The world is under the power of sin. Sin of Adam is affecting the sin nature of everyone in the world. Death became a reality in the world when Adam sinned. Now, number four, sin is under the power of death. Sin is under the power of death. Number four. The world is under the power of death. Death spread to all men. There are a lot of connections in these uh, Greek sentences. and very interesting. They're unique sentences, connections. And so, it points to a manner of result. There's a result from death that it spreads to all people. Death spreads like smoke going through the rooms of a house. Death spreads. Now, I grew up in a house that did not smoke. C cigarette smoke. I married a woman whose parents cigarette smoked. And after a while, it was hard for me to go to my father-in-law's and mother-in-law's house. You know why? Because in their house, everything smelled like cigarette smoke. And you say to them, why does it smell like cigarette smoke in here? They will say, what cigarette smoke? Because they don't smell it. Death spreads because of sin. Sin spreads because of death. Sin, death connected, and it spreads like a smoke through a house. It rains. Death is unavoidable. No one can escape the power of and smell of death. Your deepest problem is your connection to Adam's sin and his condemnation. Death. The biggest fear people have is death. And it penetrated to every person because every person dies. You go to a funeral, you cry for the person who passed away. <clears throat> Don't ask God why he died. You know the answer to that question. He died because of sin. Ask the better question. Why are the rest of us still alive? That's the better question. 
Adam was one man. He did one act. He did one sin. One singular sin. But the results of his one sin spread to everyone like smoke from a fire. All people entering into the world alienated to God because they are spiritually dead because of Adam's sin. Number five. The end of verse 12. So death spread to all men because all sinned. What are seven greatest problems in the world today? The world's under the power of sin. The sin of Adam affected the sin nature of everyone. Death became a reality. The world's under the power of death. The world sinned with Adam in the garden. Number five, sin. The world sinned with Adam in the garden. The world sinned with Adam in the garden. Now, you may debate this answer. And I'll let you until I explain why I picked the answer the way I did. The world sinned with Adam in the garden. But you'll say, Pastor, wait a minute. I wasn't alive in the garden. I've never been in the garden. I was, if I was there, Pastor, I wouldn't have sinned. Yeah, okay. Again, I think Adam was better than all of us. I don't know how long it took him. But he rebelled and sinned. And if he did, we would have a lot sooner. Do you see the word because there? Because all sin. That's a very unique word in the Greek. It's a phrase actually in Greek. Usually, usually in English it takes more words to explain a one word in Greek. This is the other way around. We've got several words in Greek here explained by one word. Because it's unique. If you want to say, explain it, for the reason that something happened because. <laughs> for the reason that something happened because. In other words, there's a logical connection here between all people dying and all people sinning. There's a connection between the two. All people die because all people sin. Sin, entered, came to all men, sinned. All three verbs are in the aorist tense, point in time. They're all active. In other words, somebody did something. The meaning is that all mankind sinned in the past one time in history with Adam. A point in time. We, with our great, 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 however many great grandfather, Adam, we sinned with him. All people have sinned because of their relationship with Adam. The sinner does not do individual acts, which is, you, we have other verses everywhere about that. But this is talking about people sinning in and with Adam. All people stand condemned because of our relationship with Adam. We're connected. He's our kinsman. Okay, it's just me. It's not you. It's just me. Just... I'm just opening a window in my heart of me, not you, just me. 
okay? The thing I'm having problems with on TV right now is I get to watch my golf tournaments. And I get to watch my golfers golf, and they're starting to let crowds back in. But in order for the crowd to be let back in, they have to wear a mask outside in a golf course. Outside. They're making them wear a mask outside. Never, okay. It's just me. It's just me. You wear a mask however you want to wear a mask. You do whatever you got to do. But if you want to put on a mask that helps you, put a mask on that keeps sin out of your life. Because if you keep sin out of your life, you'll keep death out of your life. I was a young preacher. I was a young preacher, just beginning, and I got caught by a woman, and a little old lady, little, just perfect, typical little old lady. In your mind, you can imagine her. You can picture her. I don't even have to describe it. Little old lady. And she said, I cannot remember a time when I've sinned. She told me that. Now, if I was a wise old preacher, I would say, well, that's going to be great. You're going to live forever. If I was smart, that's what I would have said. But, you sin, you will die. You die, you sinned. Those two things go together. Here we have the world sinned with Adam in the garden. All people stand condemned because of the relationship to Adam. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't keep from that part of your sin nature. Now, let me explain this. Okay? This passage is debated by scholars. Okay? I'm not going to explain the whole debate they have. I'm going to give you a the Reader's Digest version, okay? Here you go. There are three basic views that scholars have about this passage. There's a verse, verse 12, okay? They say, one, the one view is that it talks about Adam as our federal head, our federal head, okay? That means Adam represents us, all human beings. Federal head represents all of us. There's another view uh, put out by John Calvin, who said that Adam represents to us the sin nature. The sin nature. So that, what I call it? <clears throat> natural headship. That Adam was our natural headship. And his sin gave us our, our sin nature. Okay? John Calvin, smart guy, knows what he's talking about. Makes sense. Third view. Third view, and I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it uh, the individual headship. Okay? This view believes that Adam is just an example for us. That we live in a garden just like Adam does in this world. This is our garden. And we have the ability not to sin just like Adam did. And we can stay no to sin and not bite from the apple of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can do it individually. Okay? Now, three views. Three views. Go ahead. Ask the question. Good question. Here you go. Here's the answer. 
The answer is based upon the verbs in the verse. The verbs are eris active. They're talking about one action in the past. In the context of the verse, the action that they're talking about is Adam's sin in the garden. Therefore, <clears throat> if he meant that it's talking about our sin nature or talking about our sinful actions, which we do, right? We do. We have a sin nature. We have sinful actions. But the verse is talking about our relationship to Adam as our head, as our grandfather. If it was talking about our nature or our individual actions of sin, he would use the present tense or imperfect tense. But since our Bible doesn't have mistakes, the passage is talking about the nature that every person has, the relationship we have with our grandfather, Adam. Let me explain it this way. I'll give you three points here. First point. Every one of us in this room has a sin nature given to us by the headship of Adam. Everyone in this room has a sin nature given to us by the headship of Adam. Second point. Everyone in this room has a sin nature proven by their physical death. You will die one day because of your sin. Third point. Everyone has a sin nature and will prove it by their own rebellious daily actions. You sin. So, what is your biggest problem? You sin. What do you need to solve the problem? You need to be justified. You need to stand in the grace of God and the love of God. But he hasn't got to that point yet. All men, fall with the first Adam. All men can be saved by Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Here we go. Now this will explain it a little bit better. Number six. What are seven of the greatest problems in the world today? Six. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Number six. Number six, the law makes it impossible for the world to defeat sin. The law makes it impossible for the world to defeat sin. Now, <laughs> here's your question, your answer to the question about the guy in Bully Bully Land who never hears about the gospel message. Does he go to heaven or not? Okay? Here's the answer to the question. God provides the law. Now the obvious question is then, what law? The interesting thing that Paul talks about is he talks about six different laws. Six different laws. Six different laws. For instance, the most common thing Paul talks about when he refers to the law, he's talking about Mosaic law. 
he's talking about the God's moral law. God's moral law. That's number one. But Paul talks about that there's a law in your heart. Law in your heart. Number two, your conscience. Your conscience. That was over in chapter 2, verse 15. Then he talks about a third law in chapter, one, in chapter 1, verse 28, or chapter 7, verse 23, the law of your mind, or the law of reason. So, so far you've got three laws. Moral law of God, you've got the law of your heart, you've got the law of your mind. So you have logical thinking that you can make moral decisions based upon a law in your mind which will be probably based upon your conscience. Those are three laws. Now, when Moses came and gave the, the law to Israel, he also had a couple other parts to it. He had a civil law, a civil law. In other words, he gave, he gave laws on how to rule the land. Remember that? The Puritans came to America, and they tried to live by God's civil law. That's what they tried to put into place, to live God's law civilly. Then, fifth, there's God's ceremonial law. Ceremonial law. And we still have people today trying to live ceremonial law. The Seventh-day Adventists tried to live ceremonial law. They try to, try to obey ceremonially the laws that God has in the Old Testament. Uh, matter of fact, the Orthodox Jews, they try to live the ceremonial law today. Uh, the Catholics try to live the ceremonial law. They try to do it, and of course they don't completely obey the ceremonial law. It's a sad thing. So they try to live by it, but they don't meet it. They can't keep it. Just like the Puritans couldn't keep the civil law. So you got the moral law, you got the heart law, you got the mind law, you got the civil law, you got the ceremonial law, and then Paul talks about the last one, the number six. You know what that is? The law of Christ. The law of Christ. Which, which really is kind of a misnomer because the law of Christ really has to do with the law of the Spirit. The law of the Holy Spirit. So really, the law of Christ is the working of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So, if you have six laws that God gives to you, you should do what? You should sin less. But guess what happens? The more laws God gives you, the more you sin. The more you sin. So, every time God gives you another law, you have the possibility of sinning more. Okay? If you have, let's say you have just the law of your heart and the law of your mind, you would sin less. But then when the Ten Commandments come, you have now the moral law, so you sin more. And then if you have the civil law, you'll sin more. If you have the ceremonial law, you'll sin more. And then, heaven forbid, you get the law of Jesus Christ, who in the Sermon on the Mount talks about thinking things rather than doing things you'll sin even more. So, if the law comes along, number six, and hit, the law will make it impossible for the world to defeat sin. 
Because if you have more law, you'll have more sin. The problem you have with God's laws is that you break them. The laws of God are universal to the church, to the world. All people have to deal with at least one, two, three, maybe five of these laws. And you break them. You are still sinning. You know why you still are sinning? And I know you're sinning. is because even with the law, you are still dying. Because if you could obey all six laws, you would live forever. But you sin. And you will die. Sin increases by the presence of the law. When I told my child, don't touch the chocolate chip cookies that are cooling on the counter, and he eats them, he's sinning. If I didn't tell him not to eat them, he wouldn't be sinning. He'd just be eating cookies. But I told him not to eat them. Therefore, he broke the rules. The law shows the world's sin and rebellion by showing the morals of God. The law reveals that a sinner cannot live up to the holy standards that God has. Here we go, number 7, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned like the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who has to come. What are the seven greatest problems in the world today? Number seven. Number seven. This law strengthens the power of death over the world. The law strengthens the power of death over the world. The death will reign and more you try to do good things to get to heaven, the more death will reign and have power over you. Because you will fail and fail and fail and fail. Death will reign over you. He'll be the king over you. He'll be the ruler over you. Even if you don't do the same sin that Adam did, if God told you not to eat up from a tree, which God won't tell you because Adam already blew it. Adam had a different test than you do. But when you break God's commands, you break God's moral laws, you make, break God's civil laws, ceremonial laws, law of Christ, when you break them, you're stepping over the line. Between Adam and Moses, people died. Why did they die? Because they broke the law that God gave them. The same death penalty is pronounced to everyone who breaks God's moral law, death. But he gives a little hint. There's somebody coming that can solve the problem. Somebody's coming to solve the problem. The one who will bring solution to the problem is coming. But the problem is that we're not ready to hear it. Put application. Will I share the solution to the world's seven biggest problems? And do I do it with love and kindness so that my friends can enjoy the peace of God? Will I share the solution to the world's seven biggest problems? And do it with love and kindness so that my friends can enjoy the peace of God. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. 
Do you know why? Because our non-believing friends are taking an idea that their sin doesn't matter to anyone but to them. <clears throat> Carol had an interesting job. She worked at Biola University. She was in charge of the entire campus of insurance. Every time the college went off campus, they had to come to Carol's office to get insurance permission to go. So whatever it was, a field trip, they had to come to Carol's office. If they, if they were, if they were uh, uh, doing a, a survey, they have to come to Carol's office. If they're going on a trip to the desert, they have to go to Carol's office. If they were doing anything. One of the things that she had the biggest problem was, was the film department. See, they had a senior project where seniors had to, to give a film presentation to graduate. And one of the film girls came to Carol's office and said, I need to go to Fullerton to do my film in Fullerton. And Carol said, that's fine. I'll do the work. I'll find out. I'll talk to the city of Fullerton, see if you can go, see if our insurance company will cover you, and we'll make a deal, and I'll get back to you. Well, finds out a week later, too, that guess what? Fullerton does not want Biola students coming to Fullerton making pictures. And they said, no way, Jose. You cannot come to Fullerton. So Carol calls up the girl and said, sorry, you're going to have to go to some other place else. Let me know where you want to go, and I'll get you the insurance. And you know what the girl did? She went to Fullerton. And she filmed her picture in Fullerton. Carol called her into the office and said, Okay, I told you you couldn't go to Fullerton. Why did you go to Fullerton? You can't do that. We're liable now. They could sue us. We could get, you know, we could have big problems here. You broke the rule. You can't do that. And guess what? This was her reasoning. Quote, because I wanted to, unquote. Now, you know what? When you get to heaven and you stand at the great white throne and God says, why did you break all my laws? Why did you sin? Why did you die? Why did you not repent? Why did you not turn to Jesus Christ? Why did you not obey Jesus Christ? Why did you not obey the law of Christ? And you say, you say, because I didn't want to. You think that will get you off? Do you think any excuse will get you off? There is no excuse in this world that will get you away from the death penalty that you have. Because you sinned with Adam in the garden. You have a sin nature in you that sins all the time. You have been given the law you have the Bible. You have God's moral law. You have beyond that. You have the law of Christ. And you think rebellion against that will somehow get you into heaven? I don't think so. We have a problem here. 
We need to get to the solution to the problem. And in order to get to the solution to the problem, you've got to come back next week. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you, Father, that it didn't hiccup. Thank you, Father, for all the good things you do to us each and every day. I pray, Father, you help us understand that we are living under a death penalty that nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can keep us from. I pray, Father, that you hold us in account that we would not play with sin, that we would not give in to temptation, that we would understand, Father, how serious sin is and how, Father, you did not design this world to be a place where death occurs. That is not what you designed. But, Father, because of our sin, death came into the world. And it spread to everyone. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be obedient to your commands. And most of all, Father, to be justified and stand in grace and stand in the love of God and be saved. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.